Welcome to Reviewing. On this podcast, we find the movies from my dad's youth, then we discuss them. This episode, War Games from 1983. Probably Matthew Broderick's first starring role, but again, something we probably should have looked up before we talked about on the podcast. Cold War's in full swing. Thinking about Soviets in the United States ready to launch nuclear missiles at any time while at the same time computers are starting to make their ways into homes. How do these things come together? Computers? Nuclear war? Matthew Broderick? Well, we found out and watched war games. Thanks for listening. Shall we play a game? War games? Yes, war games. If I remember when we first started talking about it, you had not even heard of the movie until we watched it. Mm-mm. Well, we had talked about it before about watching it because um, we had saw it or saw it listed on Prime, and Mom said, "Oh, that's a good movie." And then you said, "Hey, let's do that one right. for the podcast." And that was the first time I've heard of it, so right. very now, new to me. I, I will tell you, you know, the tagline goes of my dad's youth. And mm-hmm. normally these have been movies that I saw in high school because that's where you are. Uh, but this was definitely a middle school movie. This was 83. Okay. Uh, yeah. I definitely remember seeing it in the theater. It was a big deal. Probably have seen it since then. Maybe been rented in high school as a nostalgia type thing. But definitely first saw this in, in middle school um, when it was out in the, in, the, in the theater. Big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I certainly enjoyed it my, not second, but maybe third or fourth time around your sister watched it she enjoyed it Mm -hmm. but more importantly for the purpose of this podcast what were your thoughts yeah i i think the first time around it it definitely was good um i think the ending is very good which (laughs) makes it better your first time right and we can talk about the ending later yeah um Although it wouldn't be the first time we talked about the ending first in the podcast but yes we can actually wait this time true um but i think that it does a really good job um, making it fun and also meaningful. Yes. You know, like, there, there's stuff that makes you think, but there's also stuff, oh, that's fun or oh, that's clever. Right. Um, but just a good movie, in, you know, all things considered. And, like, they do a good job of portraying the, like, the human aspect of, like, what, like, a world war would mean. And then also, like, the military aspect and then, like, right. ethical aspect and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, when, I, when I'm living in 1983, the thought of the Cold War and nuclear war potential and mutually assured destruction, I mean, that's on my mind. Mm-hmm. Not weighing on my mind, right? I'm not living with it. But, but it's around me. It's there all the time. So seeing war games and the things that it portrays as in the military is constantly thinking about what are the Soviets doing? How would we react? Are we ready to strike first? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's really present. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about my first question for you is that's not really present now no. at all. At least not as I mean, much. The only thing that's really present in any way, shape or form that's similar to that would be the thought of a potential terrorist attack. Yeah. But I don't think that it's as... It's present. not present in the same way. Right. Because, I mean, to make this movie was pretty bold. I mean, because I... Because I know that this was still, like, a big thing. You know, mm-hmm. the Cold War was still happening at sure. this point. Oh, definitely. And to make this movie that's so blatantly Cold War... Right. And, like, talking about 
like basically a third world war right is kind of bold something that we can't answer unless we of course took a poll of of uh, peers your age is I'm wondering if you have more of a handle on that day-to-day feeling and Cold War US Soviet tensions mm. because over the past six months yeah you've seen so many movies that have to do with the Cold War and <laughs> yeah. talking about the Soviets That's I mean sort of there's got to be like at least 25 to 30 percent of the movies have in some way dealt with the yeah. Cold War well which demonstrates the fact that they were just that's there. what was on people's minds. It was a thing. It yeah. was happening. Um, so, uh, you know, and it was a thing that 17-year-olds talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it just because it was there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me talk about the 17-year-old aspect first. I sort of wrote down some large questions as to what, what kind of a movie this was. Was it this? Was it that? So the first one, I'm asking a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I'll ask it anyway. Is War Games a teen romance? I, I wouldn't say it is. <laughs> it's like a movie with a teen romance in it. Right. I mean, I think we've had a lot of movies with a teen, you, you know, the romance right. doesn't work. <laughs> Probably yeah, more more often than not in these kind of movies that we've watched. Yeah, but this is another example of... Namely of, Commando. Uh, namely <laughs> Commando. Of, of crisis bringing two people together and finding, right? Because, uh, although I will say, unlike a couple of times, Commando being one, and arguably Big Trouble in Little China being another, where yeah. there's zero chemistry, and then all of a sudden they're kissing because they're all in crisis and they need to kiss. Uh... Jennifer was definitely flirty throughout mm-hmm. the movie, mm-hmm. um, and then she, and then finally they, you know, when they when they think they're going to die, they finally decide to get romantic about it, um, in a very seventeen year old chaste way, right? Um, yeah. Although I will say, thinking back to the first high school scene, um, didn't you think that maybe Jennifer was? On a much higher social strata than David, I would say that. But yet, then she goes. I mean, she she hops on an airplane for goodness. Well, okay, let's talk about that. Well, seventeen-year-olds having enough money to hop on airplanes and then going to hop on airplanes by themselves anyway. No, she drove. It said that she drove. Oh, she did drive. That's right. That's but right. still, she got an airplane ticket for him. He, yeah, that was easy. Right. Like with that, like where did where did she send the money, like in time enough? Right. Except by like wiring it, uh, like through like a bank. Right. But even then, I... she was like, "Wow, this computer can make airline tickets." It wasn't like she was able to hop on the terminal and go. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Although there's an interesting sub thing that I noticed about, and again, this is very '83. In they first go into David's house, she says, "Oh, your parents are." He says, "No, both of them work," and that's like this big thing that that was a rarity, right? I mean, so many of you know, you and your mm-hmm. peers, both parents work. That's. That's, the, That's norm. the norm. I think back in 83, I think that was definitely the minority. And also, you know, when they talk about profiling him, oh, this is the kind of kid that's going to do this, has very few friends, detachment from his parents. Yeah. Um, but there definitely was. I mean, it definitely showed that mom's on the phone during dinner, dad's not paying attention, dad has no sniff what's going on. Yeah. Parents are just sort of, they're either stern in talking to him or they're or they're not. And the only thing they, they really engage with him positively is about his grades. Mm-hmm. Um, it, again, played a little bit for yucks in yeah. the movie, but definitely social commentary mm-hmm. about nobody's watching the children. Mm-hmm. 
um, and sort of they're left to their own devices. Look, they're gonna they're gonna start a nuclear war for goodness sakes. Yeah, I mean that's a bit much, of course, but like. <laughs> You think so? <laughs> but there still is that kind of, you know, so social commentary. As you said, it, it kind of is laced in there. Right. Which I, which I think is smart. And I think this movie did did stuff very well um, where they would lace in the social commentary. Right. So it wasn't blatant, which is good, because it was still, like, on, on the more, like, funny side at, right. at certain times. Right. But... It was nice that it was laced in there. Including social commentary, as someone who works in the education business, is that the most cruel and sarcastically cruel teacher you've ever seen? <laughs> I mean, like, short of beating the children, like, oh, you're terrible, and I'm going to display your F test paper for the entire class to see, and then laugh. Like, no teacher does that that I I've like, met. That was terrifying. <laughs> but, hey, what I... He kind of deserved the joke that he got. I mean, if he's yeah, going to yeah. be that much yeah, of a, yeah, of, you did. know, of a terrible teacher, he could, he's got. If he can dish it out, he's got to be able to take yeah. it, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and that's sort of where the movie like got better is is because it was funny, right? And they were able to lace, you know, like, oh, they're seventeen and they're funny, right? You know? Speaking of funny, it was great because you. You said, oh, Matthew Broderick, he's Ferris Bueller. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, and I had a very funny Ferris Bueller moment because they get, when he shows them how they can get plane tickets to Paris. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you noticed, but they got plane tickets from Chicago yeah, to Paris. Yeah, But yet they were living they in Seattle. They don't live in Chicago, yeah. Well, I just thought, well, Ferris Bueller lives in Chicago, so maybe that was just sort of a precursor to that really, by the time he grew up, he was going to be Ferris Bueller and then he was going to Paris then I don't know. I just was sort of, I was like Chicago. Wait a minute. Because <laughs> when Seattle? did Ferris Bueller's come out? I think yeah. Well, you've already seen it, so we can't well, we can't review it. But... Well, no, but like, was that intentional to put it from Chicago? No, no. Ferris Bueller was a couple. <laughs> that years. was later. Uh, yeah, probably like, five, four years, maybe like, maybe five. Still, that's cool. Right. So, my second question about what kind of movie is this? Right, I asked you, is it a teen teen romance? I didn't really mean that. Yeah. <laughs> This one, I, I do mean definitely, right? And it sort of starts with that very first scene when the uh, two Air Force are unable to ethically, morally, courageously, whatever, they can't launch. Well, right? no, just the one guy. Just the one, you're right. But one still, of, still. One other two can't launch. Still, and then it said like 22% of your launch people couldn't do it. That's exactly right. 20% failed to be able to sort of actually push the button yeah. when they were asked to. Quick aside, did you recognize either of those two actors in the bunker? I thought I recognized the older one who couldn't launch. I don't know where from. See, I don't know where he'd recognize from. He was on L.A. Law and West Wing, but you didn't watch either of those shows. The younger one, dark hair, that's Bump Bailey from The Natural. Oh. <laughs> okay. Michael Madsen. Yeah. Um, anyway, and when it first came in, I'm thinking about all of this social media and Facebook stuff, and it was about giving computers the power to do the decision-making, mm -hmm. right? You know, they go to the NORAD, and McKittrick says, look, take the human element out of it. And I don't think that anybody today in 2019 is saying take the human element out of it. Well, there, there, sorry, there are plenty of things we've taken the human element out of. But not like that. Not like that. But now it's transitioned into let the humans have that. Right. Let the robots do that. But I just had this mammoth thing about, about how the tables have turned and due to the fact that the that the computers are getting smarter and learning 
and they're analyzing algorithms and analyzing human patterns, the computers are now, when it comes to decision-making, they're influencing our decision-making mm -hmm. as opposed to the other way around. And that was a big part yeah. of this movie. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Did I did I go too far and too deep with, no. with war games? No? No, I mean, I, I, that's totally right. I mean, because they did definitely probably mean to do that. I mean, there was some stuff with, like... Yeah, you know, putting the computer in is probably the right thing to do. Right. It's just you have to be careful, and we and like with the computer could do whatever it wanted, and basically like scare the humans. Well, it like basically played the humans. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. Right. It showed because it knew what they would do if it faked having missiles sent towards. Right. Them. Right. And much. I mean, do you think that the the writers of war games, right, looking ahead and things like, do you think they ever could have predicted how much power, well, I guess two questions. One, how much power computers would eventually have. Yeah. And number two, how much influence computers would eventually have when it come, like when you think about the Facebook and the elections and the, and the, yeah. and the, and the fake stories and the, and the plants and things like that. I mean, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, there definitely is some of that where looking back you realize that computers have more power than they would then and could even have been thought of then because mm -hmm. back then they were clunky and you couldn't use them right but now they're in our pockets and everything right so i think it's cool to go back and see that this was on people's minds even when computers were not close to what they are now sure you know it's interesting that you think about the, the prevalence of computers then that very few people had them so that's why they were scary because they were rare yeah now everybody has them so and they're still scary but in a very different way but like they're scary because everybody has them ah yeah they're scary because everybody's being influenced by mm -hmm. them not just the sum yeah but shout out to the power of libraries and research because even though David right he's got this computer and he's a whiz kid and he's a hacker before that term was even invented yeah. probably um He's got to go to the library to do research. I know. There, the, there's no Google. I mean, the research montage, like, yeah, that was incredible. I mean, I didn't think that they could have put a montage in here, but they did one for the <laughs> library research. That's right. They somehow got it in there. Uh, making microfiche part of a training montage. Yeah. Very exciting. <laughs> very exciting, definitely. So, See, but I don't know how he... From from the stuff that we gathered from the research montage, there's no way that he got that much, like paper on the guy. Yes, you know, <laughs> that was a lot of printed sheets with that old dot matrix printer he's working. Yeah, <laughs> um, and plus he had a pretty good recall memory about where Professor Falcon's address. I was like, how are you going to find Professor Falcon? Yeah. Right there, he, he he found it. He saw it like once when he was being chased. And... Right, right. He's panicking, trying to find his way out of the infirmary, but yet he remembers it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll go with it. Yeah. So it's, you know, with all there's a lot of things I remember. One of the scenes I definitely remember about War Games was the dinner scene in David's, in David's house. And you mm. actually chuckled when it happened. How does David's dad butter his corn? He puts it, like, on the bread first. Yeah. And then he puts, like, the corn inside the bread and he uses it there. Fascinating stuff. I mean, that's, like, that's kind of meta. The fact <laughs> that... <laughs> do tell. Because then you, like, do, like, a two for one. I know. You have the bread and you yeah. have... And then the 
the like the butter on the corn will be melted already. Yes. That's like not that bad. I know. It's that's it, some smart stuff there. That's some Seriously. smart stuff. Although you need a good spongy bread for that. Yeah. You've never have you had Wonder Bread? Like probably once or twice. Yeah, sorry. Don't want your mother listening to this part. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, you need a good Wonder Bread just to really roll it up and then around there. Yeah. Because like you would need the bread to be soft enough to fold. Yes. But like compact enough to so hold. So it would all seep in yeah. and get it all around the corn. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I remember the bread part. I didn't remember... I, I remember just whatever a movie flash of the corn being raw you can taste the vitamins but I, I put that in a different movie for some reason I don't huh. know why yeah anyway that was <laughs> certainly a quick aside okay so so my next question about what sort of a movie is this okay and I guess this is the obvious one I think I think for this one the answer is yes but it's this allegory about Cold War denuclearization right right uh, and sort of two quotes come to mind, which is one is, um, is this a game or is it real, right? And then the answer is, what's the difference? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, when Joshua says, what an odd game, the only way to win is not to play. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of When like, that happened, I yeah. was like, this is just one big ad. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end. This is like. You in the head with about. about no nukes? Yeah, like, this is just propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that, that's definitely true. And, like, people probably were saying that. You know, the people, sort of like the hippies, if you will. Right. We're saying that. Or just people who enjoyed living. Or that. <laughs> but, like, they, like, so looking back on it, you can tell that, that like, you, those are almost like real quotes from real people. Right. Just because, like, how, how kind of prevalent they were. Yes. To the story. And I thought that was cool how they, like, they made it almost feel more real than it was. You know, like, they made the story feel real because it almost was. Well, I think, I, I think it's something, you know, well, obviously it's, it's, it's this large thing, propaganda or an ad or whatever, but it's also, it needs to be shown, right? It's something that I feel like you can almost say, mm-hmm. but unless you have some meat behind it, you don't really, uh, you can't really say, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, but... You, you needed that to sort of go into it more and say, no, this is really what we mean. Here's And I think that was so smart to have it in a movie with, like, a human part of it. Right. You know, like, where the, like, romance story gave that sort of meat to it, you know, kind of like the final punch. Because without the romance, I think it would have been kind of, like, dry. Ah, it would have been too technical. Uh, too Too technical and then wouldn't have connected with people. But, like, when you see the romance... It like, it like feels better or or like feels more real because it's actually happening and that is something that would happen and like people would have to say goodbye to all your family and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me. I wish I knew the year. There was a, a television special that came on called The Day After, and it was supposed to depict the horrors of life after a nuclear bomb had dropped. It was interesting how there was a scene. I was, was thinking about this. I, I think I remember there was all this warning about how horrifying it was going to be. I don't know if I ever actually watched mm. it. Anyway, mm. um, but how Professor Falcon, thinking that nuclear war was inevitable, stationed himself really close in his seclusion place, really close to what he knew was a tactical target because he, yeah. he, he knew he wouldn't survive, and that was almost his plan. Yeah. 
was to was to was to not survive. I mean, I sort of like like the Professor Falcon character or Falcon because oh, definitely, yeah, because it sort of showed like the other side of it, you know, like that this is going to happen, you know, like there's there's nothing you can stop it. I mean, he's he's like kind of like Thanos, sort of, <laughs> yeah. In, like, his demeanor about, you know, like, life has gone too far. Right. You know? Because well, that's what Thanos is all about. Like, life on his planet and in all of the universe has basically, like, crossed a line. Right. Well, that leads me to another... Well, one one point about Professor Falcon. I had remembered all these years, all these years, all these years, that Professor Falcon leaves the project and secludes himself because he was despondent over the death of his son. Mm-hmm. And while I think that's part of it, a larger part is he becomes despondent over the futility, right? That's a, something that they mentioned about playing Tic-Tac-Toe, of, of the futility of the situation. He's been working all his life to make, to try and make something be smarter, right, with this new technology. And he determines that all of this new technology and this amazing work that he's done is for naught, because if something and then that's sort of his like aha moment right and you know that like this isn't gonna work at which point he just unplugs and yeah. says I'm out mm-hmm. which is why he goes back to the dinosaurs yeah and becomes obsessed with the dinosaurs which leads me to another sort of 2019 markup place that I had a thought about was this is almost a climate change allegory too mm, right could be it's coming mm-hmm. and there's, I mean, I shouldn't say there's nothing we can do about it because we're finding out more and more that there is something we can do about it. But my gosh, I'd say if it but there's less it, we can do. There's about less it. we can do about it each day. And should we just accept our fates and live closer to the ocean so the tsunami gets us first, mm-hmm. as opposed to moving to Topeka so we can try and ride it's it out, su- suffer basically. Right. I mean, that was sort of all of what Doctor Falcon was doing. Yeah. Just like basically accepting it and then basically like wanting to die or like wanting to like have or or, or like wanting to, to to go out with it rather than right rather than live with it right exactly, exactly. and i think that says a lot about you know his character obviously mm-hmm. and then also like kind of the mindset you know like people would like would rather die than suffer you know yeah which i think is interesting right well, that was, again, we're back to Thanos. It, it it's a lot more less. There's a lot less pain and suffering if it's the snap than if it's starvation. Yeah, yeah. Whew. And I think that's that's sort of the same thing. You know, the 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 like Thanos theory that 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 you would just rather you know sacrifice basically in in like Thanos's case, it's half. But in this case, it's basically all. All, yeah. Or like 90-some percent. Right. For the greater good that you won't see. Right, right. And I think that's interesting. Of course, the difference with the snap is just the people go in, the resources stay. Nuclear war. You know, like you the you planet. Don't get, you don't get to drink the water anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't get to eat the food anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whew, okay, well, um, <laughs> now, now that I'm really sad. Uh Uh, another question I had was in thinking about the the computer technology early in the movie 
when David is introducing technology to people, especially to Jennifer, she says, oh, how can I talk? He says, it's not talking. It's just doing what the programmer said it would. And there's a couple of times when that happens. It's just doing what the programmer said it would. It's just doing what the programmer said it would. Mm -hmm. Which is, of course, basic computer. But then there's this thing about Professor Falcon made a program that learns. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, is, is a huge plot driver. But it's That's also, like the AI now. But it's, it's also something that in 83 was probably was probably way out of bounds. And now, of course, we expect computers to learn, right? If, 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 if I go... We, we just did it right now. If I go find war games on my movie finder of choice, it's going to give me, you might like suggestions mm -hmm. that that's a computer program that works. it's not it's not doing what the programmer told it to, i mean it is but it's also reacting to me and i think that's something that in 83 wrapping our heads around was unthinkable and i think that's that's cool to see the technology the technology grow but the message stay the same you know yeah the message is still there with technology you know it is is basically living for us at some times mm -hmm. But no matter if it's like boxy computers or like phones, it's it's the same message. Yeah, and and I think the technology, we like it when it works for us, and it terrifies us when it does things that we don't understand. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing here. It's like, yeah, they like it when it you know runs war, you know, like like different things that could happen. But when it actually does it, I mean. It was just doing what it was told. It was making, a, doing the same thing that ha, that it had been doing. Right. But it was just doing it like bigger. Definitely. And I think that's that's cool to see how how their attitude changed with it. Yeah. Well said. Anything you've got starred or or uh, popped off the page for? Um, you? I sort of want to talk about like some like mistakes I caught. Sure. Did Jennifer have to be that stupid? Uh, as in, like, her academics in class, or about computers? Like, or? just, like, knowing nothing. <laughs> She's like, what are those? Are they bombs? I'm like, what else would they be? Right, right. Well, yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah. I mean... I mean, it, somewhat, it was just, like, bad. It was like, just make her a little bit smarter. Yeah, well, there's, there was, uh, I would say this was definitely a... Men are doing smart things and women are working for them. Yeah. I mean, even there was Mc some of that. McKittrick has a quote unquote powerful assistant, right? But when he gives her his gum, A, she takes it, B, she chews it. Yeah. Right? The secretary outside the infirmary, hello, sexual harassment, right? But she's <laughs> like, oh, I'm just a funny tennis player, right? And the only thing that women do in the NORAD is they, they do the countdown 20 seconds to impact. Yeah. So this was all, this was. Uh, a a male-dominated movie, so yeah. I think that just went along with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's definitely true. But sometimes it's just like, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, that was really the only like mistake I got. Something I wasn't really. I mean, whatever. It humanized them before they. But the two guys in the bunker at the beginning, like, oh, we've got a light here. It's a nuclear test site. Oh, just thump it with your finger. Come on. Yeah, we're not gonna have we're not gonna do like the Fonzie on the jukebox to make the like nuclear launch codes work. I'm not, I'm not feeling that. Um, I also didn't. I thought it was a little. So you know, uh, they go from the first scene where the, where they're in the 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 launch uh, bunker, and we see him. We see him holding a gun. Sir, turn the key. 
and then it goes away, and A, there's no resolution. I mean, there is, because it tells us what happened. You're like, <gasps> but then the music that it goes into, it was like this jaunty military thing. I thought I was watching Stripes again. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I know you want to change focus on me, but but I, I, it, was, it, was, it was a little bit of a splash of cold water. I wasn't quite ready for it yeah. to be so John Philip Sousa. I mean... One thing that that I did like it's the unknown suspense, and you're like you're, like you know something's gonna happen, but you don't know what because it gives you no further background or which which is cool. But then it's like really like the stripes music with the like <laughs> soldiers badly marching. Like I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of soldiers badly marching. Uh, we see the big door at the end, at the very end, when it's like, no, get in before the big door closes, right? And that, But the first time we see the big door, they're getting people in, there's people just sort of randomly walking in and out of it as it's closing. Like, I would Who think, is walking out of it? I would think the big opening of the door would be like, we're going to open it at 10.15 and close it at 10.18 or whatever. Like, it's not going to be like, oh, the door's open, I'll take that route now. Yeah. No, no, that's like, the bunker's closed. Yeah. <laughs> You're not just like, oh, there, it's open, I'll pop in now. Also... When, like, it was closing at, like, DEFCON 2, <laughs> there was a guy who, like, slipped out. Right. Like, last second, like, where... That's the best place yeah, for you, you to be. you want to be inside NORAD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you thinking? Like, just hide in the bathroom. At least you're safe. Right. Oh, speaking of DEFCON, is that still an expression that's used? I think it is. Uh, maybe I should rephrase that. Is that still an expression that's used outside of your home? Because I know that your mother and I use it sometimes. Yeah. But is it used by other people? I mean, it's probably used by the military. Okay. But, like, I mean, because they have to have some system. Right. But, but it's not like when you're hanging around the hallways and somebody starts to get angry, like, oh, he's at DEFCON 2. No. 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 Okay. There's not much time to hang around the hallways anyway. Yeah, but it's only seven minutes, plus with those cruel and sarcastic teachers waiting for you in the classrooms. <laughs> he's your F. <laughs> <laughs> um, we mentioned Matthew Broderick. Any other actors and actresses that you recognize? No, actually, no. Jennifer is the girl who dresses in black and then transforms at the end of The Breakfast Club. Really? Allie Sheedy, yes. I I would not have seen that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Wow. Uh, not I'm picturing it, yeah. yeah. But like they're just playing so, so different things. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, Dabney Coleman, who's McKittrick... He was in a lot of stuff in the 80s. I remember him most, other than War Games, being 9 to 5 as being the, the bad boss. Working uh, nine Yep, sing it, sing it. Um, I keep thinking that I should recognize Professor Falcon for other things, but I really don't think I, I do. Don't. No. Oh, and there's a there's a bald FBI agent. Oh, yeah. Who's in the beginning. He is, speaking of cruel and sarcastic teachers, he's the terribly mean principal from Back to the Future. Really? Yes. Okay. We'll have to do a reviewing of Back to yeah, the Future, perhaps. It has been some time. One final thing. It was cool to see all the hacking stuff yeah. with, like, all the bad technology kind of... I mean, <laughs> that bad from our standards. Right. You know, like, one thing that I don't get is when he's in, like, the doctor's place in the big base, mm -hmm. how does he use the tape recorder to, like rig the yeah. thing. I'm not sure that typing in numbers is the same thing as playing back boop, boop, beep, yeah. boop, beep. I'm not sure the technology works Because they made way. like the same sound, and yeah. like, you could tell it was the same numbers, but right. I don't think that he could have used it from inside. Right. To... Right. I'm first supposed to think that like 
it's the sound of the number being pressed is actually what turns the relay and not something yeah. firing. Yeah. That's, 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 probably a good, that's probably a stretch. <laughs> and also, why could one shelf open but the rest of them? Or one drawer. Forgot to lock the band-aids, I guess. That's what, that's what happens in the infirmary. If you don't lock the band-aids, it all goes downhill yeah. from there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reviewing about War Games. As always, we would appreciate it if you would go to the podcast app of your choice and rate and review because it lets more folks hear about us and enjoy what we're doing. Season one of Reviewing is rapidly coming to a close. And we've said this before, but not that ma- not very many times. So for season two, we would love more suggestions for movies for us to review that would really help us out and then that lets you hear the movies that you want to hear about after all the worst thing that can happen is we'll say sorry i didn't see that movie so i can't review it we also like to say a couple things number one we are very very happy that this episode is 100 percent laryngitis free we'd also like to say we are not leaving with a song this episode because the number one song at the time that War Games came out was actually Flashdance. What a feeling. And considering that's another movie, we didn't think it'd be right. We've mixed plenty of things, but we're not going to mix two movies at the same time. Thanks for listening.